Gynostemma T. <laughs> this tea is kind of like green tea, but what, what did you call it? Dinosaur tea? Gynostemma. Oh, gynostemma, mm-hmm. not dinosaur. Yeah, I'm still trying to understand this, but basically, it's like this ancient Chinese way of making tea, where they take all of these leaves and brew them down into almost a syrup, and they mix mm-hmm. them, and then they take that and put it into tea bags. And then you can make tea out of it. There's no caffeine. There's no sugar. Nothing added. It's just it's just like a green tea, but it's a super green tea because it's all these leaves, all mm. these different leaves. It's like a claim to be a longevity tea. I like it because it tastes good. Mm. And since I don't drink caffeine, I feel like I do get a little bit of energy from it. A little bit of hippity hoppity, bippity mm. boppity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. But uh, yeah, hey, dinosaur tea <laughs> in a store near you. <laughs> Welcome to, or welcome back to, More In Common. This is our social experiment. See, everyone has a story that can help us learn from one another. And we bring people into this safe space that we have learned to create so we can learn about their stories and get into difficult topics that challenge us in conversation and ultimately how we think. And we have a lot of these conversations. And we're seeing a lot of similar threads through all of them. So what we're doing is breaking down these conversations to create a set of tools and a map that'll help you become a conversation boss so that you can be a catalyst for conversation in your day-to-day life. So don't forget, all things More In Common Podcast can be found at moreincommonpod.com. But you can find everything, blogs, (laughs) you can find podcasts, you know, links to contact us, uh, our village and and organizations that that we we support and you can find them as well um so absolutely more in common pod.com and uh if you're so inclined you know leave us a review on your favorite podcast device like this mm-hmm. one from our man lock west monster Locke. who we released a year ago he left us this kind review mm-hmm. saying definitely one of the best in-depth interviews i've ever had was excited about the process and it lived up to it all. So, wow. as always, like the, the 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 words mean a lot to us, and um, you know, need to it, reach out to him, see how he's doing. We definitely do. Yeah. We definitely do. Um, so know. let's let's go back a second. Okay. Uh, J- JS, you know, uh, he was our last episode. What, what 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 were your thoughts on that conversation? My thoughts on the conversation are. Be willing to take a look and, and go past face value. And it's very similar to what I said about the episode prior, Jeff Tippett. But, you know, he's like, oh, I'm part of a satanic temple. And it's like, uh, like for me, it'd be very easy to shut that out and be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't I want nothing to do with that. So I don't want to talk about it. Um, but I just I thought it was a very intellectually stimulating conversation. And it were, no, no, I thought it was. It was for me. Mm hmm. And that's it. Like, if I wouldn't have continued on along the path of having a conversation with him, then I wouldn't have got that stimulation. I wouldn't have been able to force myself to think about some new ideas and some new concepts and challenge some of the things I think about, which either strengthen strengthen them or got me thinking, like, maybe, uh, why, like, why do I hold on to that? 
and uh so it was uh that that's what i took out of it what what about you um the that that's all good stuff um as always uh, for me it was you know really a breakdown of <laughs> there there's a a thoughtfulness in the way he approaches his life and a thoughtfulness um in the way he approached that conversation that really kind of demonstrates a good way to challenge your unconscious biases right he talks a little bit about that um as well but also for us in challenging biases we may have towards the idea that someone's part of the satanic temple right um Mm -hmm. and as we learned with dolly you can't change them but you can be aware of them and and move through them right so i thought Mm -hmm. i thought there was a lot in that conversation um that did a good job there and you know this one really isn't so much about the conversation but you know since we did record it so many months ago um our evolution in having difficult dialogue in exploring people's backgrounds and experiences versus that conversation like mm-hmm. i thought we did a great job but i just love how we continue to get better and continue to improve in this area kind of demonstrating mm-hmm. our our constant desire to get better because this is never easy and there's no magic bullet. That's a that's a fair one. Thank you, man. I, I didn't really think about that. That's a good one. Yeah. Today we are with Phil Terrell. Phil grew up in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. His upbringing was all about the pursuit of academic or athletic excellence, and he hit some of those targets. His life took a different direction after college at Tuskegee, starting in corporate America, entrepreneurship, and on a journey to discover himself. Along the way... He didn't realize that God had a very unique plan for his existence that would truly begin at an unexpected time after a life-altering decision. He then wrote a book, or recently wrote a book, Collision Course, about his unexpected turn as he drives full speed into the journey of how he turned his life's most challenging time into a massive and powerful breakthrough. Man, what we get into, um, the importance of God and prayer in his life. Um, and, you know, just talking about the, what that means to him, um, his relationship with his dad. Um, we talk about that pivotal moment in his life that led him to read the book or write the book collision course. I won't spoil it. I'll let you get into that, um, through the episode. Um, and, and, you know, we talk a lot about him and his life and everything that kind of led to, the 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 accident that we talk about and that he writes about in his book so uh, it's really good just rich dialogue and getting to know uh, a man who's been through a few things and um you know how he's working to come out the other end a much better person for it uh, so we're we're excited to have him now what strikes mm-hmm. you most about this conversation rod i've said it before but i'm saying it again keep going like just don't stop uh, we're not defined by our darkest moments and uh, it, it's how we respond and how we show up after and what we do about them. And I think in this conversation with Phil, after we learn about his moment um, and, and, and the process, and it's not like a response right away. It's a, it's a series of responses and how you re- show up over time. And he talks about his, his, his path. He's a, just a, such a great example of, of this concept that can be very cliche. We're not defined by our darkest moments. It can be super cliche. That's fair. That don't yeah. mean it's not true. It's super true. Um, um, what, what do you got for right some at tips the beginning, for us? I ask him about prayer and God. Um, 
as a curiosity that that I have in other people and what it looks like. And, you know, it's funny, I've since used that question in other situations and um, have just learned how to delicately ask questions when you're curious and it may you're not exactly sure how the other person is going to respond so i think that's just a really good uh, flow in that in that section to just listen for on curiosity and asking questions Um, and then toward the end we talk about being right um, and how everyone can be right Um, and it really is about the approach i just think there's a lot to take away in that section of the dialogue so just call it out to to not to not be uh, to to not be missed. So um, as always, we're here with Phil and enjoy today's show. I have this feeling of. Uh, and I'll give it to you like this. Like, have you ever done something and you're like, when you're done doing that particular activity, like you feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you feel really positive, like reinvigorated or energized about it. And it's, it's something in your being where you're like, today is like when you see the sun, like when the sun's shining, like you feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, for me, it's that type of feeling of like, feel really good um and it's like a peaceful thing um and then there's a lot of clarity and i I think if you ever felt like you have a great sense of direction around something that's that's how i feel when it comes to you know like that that elevated spirit of being welcome back we are here with Phil Terrell. Phil. What's up? How y'all doing? At Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Morning Common, you know? I've been, I've been listening, so this is good. I'm excited good. to be here. Awesome. So there's actually been a topic of conversation that we have not broached on this, <laughs> uh, in, in our many episodes recorded, coincidentally enough. Now, in your book, collision course yeah. right you um frequently reference uh, prayer and god's influence on on your life yeah and for me i think it's often assumed that uh, what this means like based on cultural norms people just assume what it means but like for someone like me i don't understand right and sure. i am ever increasingly curious to understand what this relationship is for people i know it varies for for different reasons so love to you know understand like how prayer and god manifest in your life yeah that's a it's a great question and in our family it's actually an interesting conversation on a daily basis and i'll tell you what i mean by that so like when i was growing up uh, my dad was in the nation of islam uh, and so you know there's that level of faith right when you think about islam uh, and then if you go deeper into like the nation of islam um, there's a certain discipline um, that um, those followers of, you know, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had, um, same with Louis Farrakhan, like, it's just a, a different kind of structure to religion and faith and spirituality, and then the teachings, and so, and sort of how that gets infused into, like, daily life in your regiment, uh, and so then, you know, like, even growing up, 
in that environment when I was younger. Um, then my mom, right, she was more around the not not I'm not gonna say not into church and religion as much, but it wasn't as deep, let's say, um, as my dad was at the time with the nation. And then there was this other thing with like my grandparents who were, you know, they're Baptists, right? Like my my granny's from Missouri, so she's just Baptist, and we go to church every Sunday. Like when we visit her, it's on. Uh, and so we just kind of, you know, you learn about the Bible. Um, you know, Jesus is viewed differently than um, how it might be in the Quran with like the Prophet Muhammad. And so you're really get. I got an interesting perspective of religion in that context uh, or spirituality. And then my sister, let's fast forward. Like my sister, um, she went to a historically black college called Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. And prior to Hampton, um, you know, she was, you know, practicing, you know, the Christian faith. Uh, everything was like consistent across us both. Um, and then my sister actually converted. And she converted to Islam, um, I think, I don't know if it was like her sophomore year of college, something like that. Um, and so this constant dynamic around spirituality, faith has evolved um, over time for me because I'm watching how people interact with faith and spirituality. And then, you know, to answer your, your question, for me, it's been an interesting relationship because like, I don't necessarily believe that you have to go to church every Sunday um, or Bible study every Wednesday, like in a lot of the times in the people that are focused or on the Christian faith, they, in, in my, um, you know, like in the African-American community or the black community, like there's, that's kind of like the schedule. It's like Wednesday. That rigor, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like Wednesday, Bible study. Saturday, choir practice. Sunday, perform that song you were practicing. Yep. And then like Sunday school, like, and then you just keep going, going and going. Um, and when I was young, I was like, I don't understand this. Like, and I even like the concept of tithing, right? Like I was like, I feel like I'm paying for somebody, right? Like, you know, like, and you know I always had some tithing, Keith. I, I don't. I, I, I tell me. Perfect. So I'll explain it to you, and then you know, Rodney definitely like yep. add in where I miss out. But in my concept of it all, it's like tithing is like, hey, I, I need to take a percentage. I think it's like ten percent. Yeah, ten yeah, percent of the money you make, right? And you are essentially saying, I'm giving that back to God, or yeah, okay, no, right. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so like over time, I've I've had this uh, perspective on on religion that it's become commercialized or, you know, it's a business, especially when I look at like large Baptist churches, um, the AME church where, you know, like there's another part of my family who's really big in the AME space. AME. Um, and yeah. Um, Do you know what it is? I don't know what that is. Um, AME, um, uh, American, it's like not American. It's, I think it's African Methodist Episcopal something. I don't know. I might have that all wrong. Um, but something like that. We'll look it up. Put it in um, the show notes. Yeah. And, and I've always been like, man, I've, I've always dealt with that battle internally of, African man, if I don't go to, Episcopal. yeah. So if I don't go to, if I don't go to church, am I like not adhering to my, you know, like my faith or like my spirituality? Like, I'm like, or my religion? I'm like, I don't think so. So my, my faith has been, I'm going to pray to a higher person because um, I do believe in that like i'm not doing all these things by myself um you know some people don't believe that which you know totally fine um you know i don't focus on jesus or um you know prophet muhammad or whoever it is like that's that you know figure um that each uh, religion has um but my thing has always been look phil you're doing a lot of great things there's no way that you could be doing that by yourself like you have a, a role in the you know in the activities um but someone 
is orchestrating that at a higher level um, and is preparing you, whether you know it or not, you know, to accept these different assignments as they, you know, come to you. And so that's kind of in my relationship. Um, and it's developed over time and it's taken step backs. You know, there's, um, but one thing that hasn't changed is like, I just always have been committed that someone is with me all time, um, you know, trying to pursue some of these great things. What is the, and it's just something that I, I fundamentally don't, and I'm, I'm seeking to understand is like, what does that feel like? Like that, and Rodney, I'd be curious to get your perspective on this too, because I know prayer is big in your household and, you know, you've had a, a deeper relationship with religion than I have over time. But I'm just curious, like, what is that feeling like? What is that experience like talking to a belief that, because like, I, I believe in something, I just don't believe that tangibly in it. So like, what, what is that like for you? I'm just, I'm so fascinated by it just because out of, just I'm curious to understand um, it more. Um, yeah. When I, for me like this, it is a, it's this, it's, I'm going to say it's indescribable because it's not, but it's, um, I have this feeling of, I, I, I'll give it to you like this. Like, have you ever done something and you're like, when you're done doing that particular activity, like you feel really good about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, you feel really positive, like reinvigorated or energized about it. And it's it's something in your being where you're like, today is like when you see the sun, like when the sun's shining, like you feel different. Right. Yeah. And so it's like for me, it's that type of feeling of like. I feel really good um, and it's like a peaceful thing. Um, and then there's a lot of clarity. And I, I think if you ever felt like. You have a great sense of direction around something. That's the, that's how I feel when it comes to, you know, like that that elevated spirit or being or whatever. That that's my um, feeling. But I mean, I'd be interested, you know, as well, well to hear kind of what. I mean, I agree. I think it's for me, it's for multiple reasons, grounding, mm -hmm. and and I think this has been proven over and over that humans we need we need uh, we need something larger than ourselves to to our purpose to like if we if we're just looking inside ourselves like it's just it's 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 very hard to to find purpose and meaning in, in ourselves but for me it is it's very grounding um and it's changed a lot like how i practice like practice i don't even know if that's the right word like the way i i connect to religion or faith or my my relationship with god has changed many many It's changed a lot in the last years, um, or throughout my can, whole life. Can, like, I, like, and I know we're talking to, to Phil, but like, yeah, go, like, we go share, go into so, that. Like, yeah, I grew don't, up don't in the Catholic over. Church. Like, I was, I, my, my parents, they were raised in Catholic churches. I was baptized. Like, all my siblings and I were baptized like, when we were born in Catholic churches. Went to Catholic school all the way through fifth grade, and then. Um, and then my mom actually kind of stopped practicing in general and parted from the church. And then my dad went to non-denominational Christian church, so I did that. And then I've since been married in the Catholic church. Um, and very similar to Phil, like I don't feel that you need to, or I don't feel that I need to go to church every weekend or every week or anything like that to practice. And 
I don't really have like I've I've never picked a church to practice at or to worship at here in Los Angeles. And really the last two years of my journey of faith, if you will, has just been exploring my personal relationship with God. And it's been like my prayers have changed from like thank you. Like I like I always say I wake up and I say thank you, like that I woke up. Um because to Phil's sentiment, like I you know, tomorrow's my promise. So the fact that I woke up I'm thankful for. But then exploring a relationship for me looked like a prayer that was a straight conversation like who are you like who am i like what is why why do i believe in you like what is it that we are doing like what are we trying to accomplish like just asking questions that i think i asked to other people growing up and i really should have just been asking to like the the, the power that i believe in so <laughs> that's that's what it's been for me but it's just been really grounding and i'm a i'm a rule follower at the core so like <laughs> I think it was really good for me at a young age to have the church, to have the structure and the social mores and the morals and all that. And I think also looking at where I am now, it's a little limiting in that like, because I look for those rules, it's like, oh, well, I got to go to church on Sunday. I got to go to choir practice. I got to go to Bible. Study. I gotta, and it's like, no, you don't have to do anything. So that's, that's, where, I, that's where I am with it. It's a very long way. Find it. No, I love I love it because, like, for me personally, it's a um, it's a cultural struggle. Because oftentimes, like the things I follow, sports and other things, there is a an often quoted or ascribed, like, I thank God or you know prayers to you. Like, and this is something I've struggled with lately. It's like, can I? What do I say? Like, I I'm not praying, right? And there was a small period in my life. Uh, where I prayed every day. And what I found it for me was it's more of a form of meditation, like grounding focus, attention. And I've just had such a hard time grasping um, an attachment to to something else other than, you know, that that focus, attention, and just a bigger purpose beyond myself, which I, I, I have a grasp to. So it's it's just one of those things that's common in our lexicon. We talk about it, we share it, we discuss it. And, you know, the other side of it is like the the non-belief. But I believe in something, like in everything I know and understand about our universe and everything around us, like to me, there's something. I just don't know what it is. You're, you're more I agnostic. I don't know you're to not pray. Yeah. You're, you're yeah, and I don't know to pray to it, right? So it's like, Prayer and, and thinking God, it's just one of those things that I seek to understand more because I think of it more from a psychological perspective than I do from a faith-based. And, and I, it's just, I love your answers and I appreciate you obliging the, the dialogue because I don't know if it's one that needs to happen, but I'm just fascinated were, by it um, to understand you, it more. Um, that thing you were just saying, you're like, somebody says like they're praying, praying for you or whatnot, you're not sure what to say. Like, Give an example, Like, what do you mean? Like, let's say you've got a big thing. Let's look at it from the optimist standpoint versus, or let's say someone's sick in your family, like, or someone is sick in your family, right, Rodney? Mm -hmm. Like, or Phil, like a common response would be, hey, praying for you, right? Like for oh, me, I'm not sure how to respond like, to that since you're not. I don't, like, there's this dissonance. Like, I think that's the thing I should say, but instead it's like, I wish you the best. Like, I, <laughs> Like I struggle. Like, right. What is the thing? Like, 
that's not the right thing to say. Like prayer, well, like, like you're, you're, pray for you. It, it's it's a well-intentioned thought towards another human and, being. And it could very well just be, you know, being around it my entire life. And, you know, I have family members who literally write things down. It's their prayer box and they hope for it to come true and they put it in their box and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and live, move forward in their life. And, but that kind of goes back to Phil, like bringing Phil back into like the, yeah. for, for one of the things that I love about your book, when you talk about this, is it drives you to move and do something based yeah. on inspiration that you get through that prayer. It's not just, I want this, give it to me. It's, I want this, give me the ability to do it, and then I'm going to do it. Yeah. And it's definitely like that. It's also like I think of it as, you know, like when you, and it, this is just for me, is like I always look at it as I don't want to let this, this thought about a higher power, like I want to let that whatever down, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when they've given me all these intangibles and all these um, abilities. And I can see that if I put in some work, then I can, and I'm going to use this word, and I use it loosely but in this context like i can glorify that investment of that higher person or being or whatever based on what they've given me so it's like i'm i'm giving you a return on that investment and and i've committed to that because of this faith which is really what it is it's it gives me the extra like juice right to be like i can do this and nothing you know whether it's a person thing emotion you know, whatever will stop that from, you know, coming to fruition. And that's where, you know, I lean on faith. And if it's whatever, that whoever it is, God, Messiah, I don't care. Right. But I, I know for me, it's somebody is helping me get from, you know, one place to another and put one foot in front of the other. Um, and it, I'm like, Rodney, you know, when my feet, sometimes even before my feet even hit the floor, my eyelids open. I'm like, thank you. That means I have more work to do. Like my assignment at this point is not done, which is, you know, I know we were talking about it before the show is like, that's what the book was about. It's like, I, I was afraid. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't want to tell people this or whatever, just because of my own fears, I guess. And it ended up being an opportunity to help have conversation with some people I knew and some people I haven't, I've never met before. Right. And that's all about just stepping out on what people call faith. I want to, so I do want to go into the book. I also you mentioned your dad in the, in that first answer, and yeah. before our talk, you mentioned we asked you about justice, and you said it makes you think about your dad. What is yeah. That? Why? You know, I it's funny because I it, the connection to the faith part is there too, right? So like I um my dad and I we've been close forever, right? Like you know it's just like dad son for real though, like we we're like best friends. Um, and growing up, my dad, um, you know, he was like, for us, he was like, the human, he was the human rights director for the city of St. Paul, uh, you know, for a decade plus, um, always doing like community um, action type of work, whether it's human rights, civil rights, um, community affairs, um, you know, like when things happen here in the Twin Cities in particular, like, you know, responding to like the Philando, you know, shooting or, you know, if there are, you know, discrimination and that's across all you know all areas like he's always a, i call him like he's always like the first responder in the community sense right and he's like always there um 
you know, putting ego aside and just doing what's just for people um, at any moment in time, no matter who they are. Uh, and, and so that's what made me think of that. And, you know, to do some of that work, uh, you know, I think about, I asked him, I remember like, why did you start doing the work you, you have been doing your whole life? Um, and you think about purpose. Um, my dad said the first, he knew what his purpose was the day Martin Luther King died. He was, he was in his mother's house. As soon as, you know, I forgot, Walter Cronkite or something like that, he came on the radio and he was like, hey, um, you know, he was telling like Martin Luther King was assassinated, et cetera. Um, and my dad asked my grandmother, this is the story my dad tells, told me is, he asked my, uh, my grandmother, why would they kill the dreamer, right? Um, and that became his life's mission is to, um, you know, help provide people, you know, like a voice to the voiceless, like, um, you know, and, and that kind of work. And so that's what made me think of, of my dad and you know, just still doing this, that work right today, which is to me like a true commitment to an assignment um, and not deviating from that, no matter like the turmoil, like the turbulence, the, none of that, like the commitment to that has never wavered. Um, and it all comes back to like truly um, doing what's just or, you know, pursuing justice for all. So, What influence like that and his established relationship with the nation of Islam, like what influence did that have on you as a kid and does it have on you today? Yeah, I mean, it, it has a big one, right? Because I, you know, I've, I've always looked at people in the world really differently because um, even as like a, a black man, African-American man today, like there's all these conversations that happen around, you know, stereotyping or expectations, whether that's external or internal to the community. Right. Um, and so my dad, you know, what through the nation, it helped provide for me like this true framework of like, hey, if you you can go do better. Um, but don't forget, like there are others that need you that are they look like you and or they don't look like you. Right, that you need to, you know, to pour into, um, because your village is pouring into you and is expecting you, you know, essentially to return, right? Um, and then when I think about today, it's like, um, like when I was in high school, I started a mentoring group because there were only thirteen African Americans in my graduating class. How right? big was your class? Uh, my graduating class was five hundred, oh, wow. like, give or take, right? And so you you think about that, and I was I was talking to one of those guys. Um, when I moved back here, back to Minneapolis, we met up for coffee and I asked him, I said, hey, Will, how many of those 13 went to college? And we were sitting there we were like, well, we can't have that. It's not going to take us that long to figure this out. Right. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember like just who did what. Uh, and it ended up being like four that went to school, like to college, any college, doesn't matter. Four year, two year, doesn't matter. Um, technical, it didn't matter. And I said, how many of those finished? He was like, well, two are at the table. And then there's a third, um, you know, who finished as well. So you think about it, I'm like, man. I mean, so back to your question, it's, uh, you know, that influence on me is like, look, everything I do, I have an intent to give it back somewhere, somehow, right? And even this, not just the book, but like whatever I do, I have this, um, it's kind of like, like when my dad heard like who killed the, why they killed the dreamer, it's, and committing your life to doing something greater to help others. It's I'm kind of in that same vein of 
every action I take, every step I take, every breath I have is going to be to, you know, to help somebody else or help my community or my, and that doesn't mean like just black people, just the people I connect with on a daily basis um, to feel like they can do more, we can do more and we can do a lot more and do better together. Uh, so that's kind of the spirit and sort of influence that my dad's um, had on me over the, the last 28 years since that's my whole life. So that's cool. uh, it's, that's, it's been strong. That's very cool. And what you just highlighted, like just from your high school class, is yeah. I think, and I got to get the numbers. I was actually just in a call and, and um, uh, a guy brought this up. The disparity between the number of African-Americans graduating from high school, going to college, and then, the, and then when you look at the prison numbers between that and like white Americans, like that's like when you talk about the opportunity, like you can you can talk about racism, you can talk about everything surrounding it, but if you're talking about the opportunity to succeed in America, it's like, well, education's not like education system's not perfect, but if you want want to get a seat at the table, like you gotta be, you gotta yeah. be, you gotta start somewhere. You gotta start with education, and like that's three out of third. Like that's not. It's, it's not. I mean, and that's like, and that's. I'm just saying pure African American, like not trying to go into all the other ethnicities and right, et cetera. Right. right. Uh, I got to count, count mine because yeah. we had, I want to say we were 15 at a 181. Um, but I, I think we, we, were, we were one out of 340. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were 100% on graduate, on college though, but we're like, a, we were like a, a college prep school, so it was kind of like, you're not, you're, you're messing up <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is like city high school yeah. like largest now, high school in the state <laughs> now like is this what your dad has always done full-time or does he have like, a job it? no so go ahead go ahead oh no go ahead no so yeah he started off doing uh like he was with the minneapolis human rights department um prior to doing you know his time i think it was like 13 14 years at the city of st paul so his whole life has has been around um, human civil rights community uh, for the last 40 years. And that includes like gang summits. Um, you know, he organized a group from here back in 95, uh, 94, 95, the group of men that went to uh, the Million Man March. Um, so, I mean, there's it's always been, you know, this this commitment to true like human civil rights for his, in the last four decades. So the reason I asked that is like Rodney and I have gone through this as it relates to our work and our endeavor to be on our own, doing our own business, doing the things that we're trying to do um, as this podcast grows and all of the other things. But when we grew up, like it was very much like get a job, right? right. <laughs> get a job, make money, support family and do that. Like that, that that's, the DNA that has been ingrained in me and I'm, I'm fighting that to get it out. Right. Cause it's like, it doesn't, doesn't reconcile with my purpose. Mm -hmm. And, but you had the opposite example, but now you do these things and have a job. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what, well, was what is the opposite the, example though? <clears throat> I mean, well, the, the example of like, I mean, he had a job, but he went with his passion. Like he followed, from what it sounds like, it's like this is what he believed in. This was his righteousness. This was his purpose on this planet versus just having a job. 
and you're trying to do all of that stuff too but then mm-hmm. you have a corporate job like right. i'm yeah. curious to how that how number one what's investor. That for you <laughs> yeah that's right number one investor like, yeah, how does that, yeah, does, yeah there's a question in there it's not super clear but I, I, it sounds like you got it when I'm yeah it no i mean I've, I've always had this i call it like this internal struggle of like um the corporate guy but the entrepreneur like the hustler the guy that's like i just want to define my own path i don't need anything else and i'll just figure it out um but it's in, like i've i've grown i grew up that way too um my mom worked at general mills for 20 plus years and so i've i've had the what i call like the my dad who's i feel like he's had the opportunity to be very entrepreneurial his whole life even if it's been uh in a form of yes i work for the city but i'm i'm doing what i want to do right and like he's consulted and all that as well um and so it's like he's been in that space and then my mother was like the offset right of go to we're gonna get good education you're gonna go to school you're gonna go to undergrad blah 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 and corporate (laughs) and and i've and uh, it's funny because i i have been trained that way and i've also taken some of the learnings that my dad has around like the relationships that he builds even now like he's like i call i don't know if he's retired or not i'm just i'm trying to figure this out uh, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a question mark yeah it's like i don't know yet because yeah. it's like he's working right but it's yeah. like he also can go play tennis with me at like three in the afternoon for like an hour and a half. but it's been i have that struggle every day and i i know i was joking with you guys with you know how I feel about you know our court jobs, right? But at the end of the day, for me now, it's you know there's there's opportunity, and I I tell my mom this all the time is I'm a corporate preneur. <laughs> you know the term, there's actually a term. It's entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. There's a no, term yeah, it's, it, yeah, entrepreneur, and that's that's me. And until I get to a point where, um, you know, I'm really ready to, you know, sort of separate the two, um, and go full throttle into one, then. I will. I have I have a unique perspective on it, though, because like my stepfather has a business like a medium sized company that um, I've, I worked at for a couple of years and I learned a ton about entrepreneurship from the form of basically a family business. Um, and it's not like like a mom and pop type business is like 600 plus employees. Like it's like for real payroll. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a serious. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to see like the other side of you know, that entrepreneurship in that perspective and in the terms of like, this is also a company, right? And so it's like, it's, my perspective is really unique in in that regard where even though I I work in a corporate job now, I I never feel like I'm really bound to the corporation like that um, because of how- Do you feel like one path is right for you or wrong or do you feel like there is a balance to be struck or? I think, I think for me, at least it's, like I used to feel like, man, I gotta go do a corporate job. If I don't do that, I have not fulfilled like my obligation to like my mother. Like, <laughs> but as I've grown, and I think as she's seen me grow, my interests has, have evolved, my relationships have um, expanded, and the equity in those relationships has, you know, deepened or increased. Um, like, I think there's, I think this is what happens. Like, people really need to get to a point of like, can I curse on this show? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going right, to I, later, probably. If, if you oh, <laughs> I, pause my I will 
I'm gonna get going in a second. Yeah, we're but no, I think people really have to get to a point of saying, I'm gonna really bet on me, right? And that's the hardest part is like the comfort of a corporate job mm-hmm. is real. Like it's really real. And I've been at a point where I'm like, I can't get rid of the comfort because the comfort comes with like stay fit and like <laughs> like all you know, like all these benefits that you get with corporate jobs and you're like the like golden. Health- yeah, healthcare—it's like this. What golden, did we call it? The uh, golden prison. I, I call it, yeah, because you know they yeah. call it golden handcuffs, golden, and then there's golden parachute for these <laughs> But I'm calling it the golden prison, like because it just—it just—they're yeah. enticing, man. They keep you. They keep. I don't want to speak negatively about it because I'm I'm not intending to be negative. But if you are trying to bet on yourself and you're trying to make a leap to do something on your own and you're within it, it is it it can be. I found in my experience very difficult to rid myself of those trappings yeah no that's that's a nice way to put it but i i really think that for me like i think the day is going to come where you have to to take that risk for sure and to your point like that leap uh like everybody that works that's entrepreneurial at a corporate job is like standing on a cliff they have the parachute on they're like this is gonna today is that day I'm going to jump off this bad oh, boy. Have the squirrel suit without a parachute. <laughs> and they're like, I'm gone, right? I'm out of here. Yeah. And you see people do it all the time. But what they're doing is they take their learnings from their corporate experience and they go and, you know, I, you see it all the time in technology, right? Mm-hmm. They'll go, they'll go and turn it into a partner or, some, you know, a company. Yep. And then they end up, the former company is now the customer. Yep. Right. You know, and so in a lot of aspects, like that's how I have thought about you know, and I, I know I thought about like, you know, what I do, which is like I'm I'm gonna learn as much as I can, um, and while managing my workload, right? Like I, every role I've been in, I've tried to figure out how can I manage my time, um, to be able to even during the day, and I like, and I think this is fair to balance being extremely productive, um, from a corporate perspective, et cetera, uh, but also being able to really pour into some of these other things that give me like fulfillment uh, and ultimately what I would say like freedom from the corporate golden prison. Um, so your, your parents are divorced. You, you uh, yeah. Your stepdad. When did they get divorced? Uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven. How'd that play? How'd that, how'd that play on you? And like, it was not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, when I was from the time I can remember to that moment, I remember it clear as day. In the basement, my sister was sitting right next to me. She was eleven at the time. Um, oh, you, you said you were seven. I was seven, and my sister was eleven. Um, and you know, there was this conversation about, "Hey, our, we're not going to be together anymore. There's going to be some changes, etc." And so, you know, I, I'm like, I am smart for a seven-year-old, but I'm not fully processing like what this really means. Um, I think my sister understood, and so she, for a short period, like she kind of protected me from what was happening, I think, between them. Um, and then there was a moment in time where it was like, hey, you're going to live with your dad and I'm going to live, like, she was going to live with my mom. So I was like, this is strange, right? And so essentially, like, the divorce created, I feel like I grew up in a sense, like, as an only child, even with a sibling. Um, and, like, that was, that's been hard, like, even as adults, right? Like, if you fast forward to our adulthood, there were so many years in between where it's like she was growing up in in Maryland while I was in Minnesota, like in middle school, high school. 
Um, and then I was like, well, I miss my mom, right? Now I'm like mentally traumatized because I'm like, I miss my mom, but I want my dad. Like, you know, um, you know, when I was younger, I was more into athletics than, than academics, which is whatever, not good. For if they're younger people, focus on both. Or <laughs> yeah, do, but, do your books and, yeah, and go to school. But at the time, like I, you know, my dad was a sports guy, right? Like, um, great basketball player. Um, that's part of why he, how he got to Minnesota uh, was, you know, from a, you know, basketball scholarship, et cetera. And, you know, so just growing up with the divorce, it was, you know, like the boys were together and the girls were together. Um, you know, you grow up separate kids, um, kind of lifestyles are different. You know, if you think about like the faith part involved in that, um, like dad and I, we'd go to church every Sunday. Um, and then my sister, you know, she was kind of off into she had to like explore herself spiritually on her own, even with her, you know, connectivity to dad from afar. Um, and so she was kind of left with the influence of the nation of Islam, which clearly was strong um, because she converted um, not to necessarily the nation, but she, she still, she practices the Islamic faith. So um, it was, it was different. Right. And there was a moment where I think uh, at the end of the seventh grade, I moved to Columbia, Maryland with my mom. So I lived with, uh, my mom and my sister for three years uh, from eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. Um, and at that point, like I basically said, well, there's basketballs out the window. Cause all I care about is being with my mother. Uh, there was a moment of frustration where even, um, and I don't, I haven't really shared this much with people outside of like close folks, but you, I'll ask, answer your question like a hundred percent. And so there was a moment even with my mother where like I was considering like suicide, right? Because I was like mentally, I was fatigued. Right. And emotionally, I was fatigued. How old were you? Um, because I uh, I was in, I think, ninth grade. So like eighth or ninth grade. There, I had, had first moved at two. You were like 11, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah sure. 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 I always, I've, I've never <laughs> been good with that. I'm not like, good at it. It's usually like 13 years old. Yeah. So I, I was a teenager. Yeah, 13, 14. Yeah, four. Yeah. I'm close. I'm close. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm in this vulnerable space at, you know, let's say 13. Um, cause I'm not, I'm trying to piece it all together and I'm trying to have this sort of perfect world that, you know, I, I used to have, which is two parents, my sister. Right. And that's what I knew. And over the years I was trying to figure it out. Um, and then moving with my mother was hard too, because she was a single mom, uh, and she was consulting at the time. So she had her own consulting business. So she was always traveling. Right. And so, you know, at that point, my sister goes on to, she's, on her way to college, um, my freshman year. So we were kind of cool. It was like my freshman year of high school was her freshman year of college. So it was kind of like this four-year separation all the time. And so that led me to being alone in in Maryland, right? So my whole intent was, oh, I want to be with my sister, my mom. My sister graduates from high school. She's gone. Mom's traveling. And now here I am in a new place, getting to know new people and by myself, essentially. Um, you know, and so that led me to getting into things I wasn't supposed to, um, I remember at the time, uh, uh, one of my mom's clients was Heineken. It was the first time I had beer. I was like 14. I was like, yo, there's this mom's out of town having a house party. Like if you, if you lived in Maryland or the East Coast, they're big into like go-go and house music. I'm from the Midwest. I'm like, yo, I don't know what this stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds nice, but whatever. And so I'm having this house party. I this this big bottle of beer, like a promotional beer. And it was like, three feet tall Heineken bottle. I had all these people at the house. I'm like, 
I know. It was like clearly something like my mother would notice is missing, right? <laughs> Fill it up with water, and put the cat yeah. back on, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was all bad. All these things. It was terrible. And I just, I just remember that like clear as day, and I was just into so many things. Like how I was did, a fourteen year old. How did you? Know? How did you work through that? How did you get through that? And um, also, thank you for sharing that. Like that's yeah. that's it. No, I mean, uh, for me at the time, it was, I, I had a, I had a therapist. <laughs> I went, so I went to counseling. Um, did you tell somebody that you were feeling that? Yeah. Way? Uh, yeah. I talked my sister, my sister actually somehow or another, like she was like on her way home from school or something. And like, I had, I remember I was in the kitchen with a knife and all that. I remember clear as day. Oh, so you uh, actually were like, yeah, I was committed. Like I was, you had intent and you, you were, had you were a like, plan. You yeah, had yeah. And my sister walks in the house. I, like freak out right i'm like oh shit like <laughs> i wasn't expecting you home right like oh so uh, like she wasn't necessarily was, supposed to be home at that point no, yeah she was just on her way home from school or some or somewhere and she was just coming home um you know so like when i think back to like spirituality and stuff today it's like that was a that's that's a that's an example of somebody stopped that from happening because i had a different assignment and i didn't know it at the time but i know it now right um you know, and so from counseling to just, you know, a lot of counseling, family support, right? And then I actually ended up moving back to, to Minneapolis. Uh, my junior year of high school, I moved back to Minneapolis with my dad. Um, Did you talk to your mom about this? Like you said, yeah. your sister. Okay. Yeah. Like so how, mom was how well. shortly after, how'd they have that all play out? Uh, it, it wasn't good. Like I, I kind of felt like it was her fault. Like I, even though it, it wasn't, right? Like I, redirected sort of my my pain and um my discontent with how the decisions they made as adults um to break up our family like i was like i i didn't feel like i had a place in all of this um or a say right and all these decisions that impacted our family and that transitioned into me saying like i don't want to be around you <laughs> like i love you but i'm leaving like i'm going back to you know be with dad right like i made up that mind like in my mind like I, I met some great people there, but like the vibrations here are not for me. I need to go, um, you know, and, and my dad, he was even that that during my time there, he was, you know, back to the sports thing. Like our whole plan was like, hey, basketball, this is it. Play tennis for in the spring. That's just to keep the cardio good. For basketball, <laughs> like in the fall, <laughs> like in AAU. In the yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I moved back home and the intent was. Okay, we missed three years of for real AAU and, and I call it like the Terrell system. Um, and <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. But uh, my junior year, like I come back like varsity and all these things, and I like basically break my ankle. And at that point, I was like, it's over, right? Like mentally, I was like, I'd rather just focus on school. Basketball is is done. And you know, and so for me and dad, that caused some friction because he's a you know like big basketball family. Um, you know, and so that created some tension when I moved back home, but otherwise, like, you know, that's, that's what happened. I, I, I'm really curious. Yeah. Cause you say in your book, uh -huh. um, that, um, your family has a recognizable ability to deflect pain, confusion, angst, or anything that resembles weakness. Yeah. I wanted to, like, I wanted to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah tying that like i mean given the fact that you are where you are you've 
I think if you re- when you read the book um, Collision Course, you'll realize the the obviously speaking to the audience here, you'll realize um, Phil's path out of this. But during that time, you I mean, we just talked to a, uh, a guest about depression and in suicide prevention. It, it's critical when someone has ability, intent, and a plan, and you reached that stage. Yeah. Then you talk about breaking your ankle and wanting to give like with that family dynamic. Like, how did you manage this as a as a adolescent? Like, how did you work through this and, and come out better for it? Yeah, and, and I, I I think it goes back to like, and I credit my sister for this um, because I I always watched her. Um, you know, directly or indirectly, right? Like I, I always was like, if she's doing something, I'm gonna do something similar. Like she played tennis in high school, she played basketball in high school, she played soccer. Like she's way more of an academic than I was in high school, like honor roll and all these things. Um, and so my intent was like, I'm gonna figure out how I can do those things. Like to make if if I don't make anyone proud in this scenario, because I felt like oh she saved me, right? Because she walked in when I was getting ready to end it, right? And she walks in, and so all of it and i i've never like fully articulated this to her but like a lot of that was for everything to me is really for her because like she hasn't been there right mm-hmm. uh, but she was there in the most important time right and that's more about like she saved me um and so like when you know to answer the question it's like i always thought like well what would whitney do that's my sister like what would whitney do like if whitney can you know deal with this and she lived with my mom so she grew up like an only child and, she had to see her brother in that moment or, you know, I don't know what else she dealt with. Right. Um, right. Some stuff, but like that, that kind of was like the, the North star for me was, look, my sister gave me an opportunity um, to finish, you know, kind of where I, what I've started right now with, with high school and sports didn't work out. And, you know, she had that, that connection as well, where moving didn't help her. Right. Because dad, again, like the athletic person, um, you know, so, so some of her dreams were de- like, I call it deferred in that sense. Um, so I, I, I credit a lot of that through those times to, to my sister. And, and I think like I started to develop a sense of faith, um, but I just couldn't put a finger on what it was at the time. And I think that 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 pulled me through and I didn't know it was happening. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've grown up like especially here in St. Paul and the Twin Cities. And in a true village, like I've, I can really say, like, I've grown up in a community that's like, no, you're going to do this. Like, you're going to be fine. Right. Um, and I credit like the local coffee shop called Golden Time, um, which is right in, a, in, a, in an old historic African-American neighborhood here in the Twin Cities, well, in St. Paul. And I would go to this coffee shop every day, every day after school. I'd walk from my high school, Central High School, um, three blocks, and I'd go to this coffee shop every day. And I would see like community leaders or, you know, older people I've seen it around high school or in the city or whatever, just like being positive and doing good things. And that, that also was like, people were like loving on me. And I was like, okay, that means I can love on myself. Right. And I can, you know, I can do more. So long, long answer, but I think it's, that's good. You know, those, those things. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about accountability for me. Yeah. Uh, Keith and I have been talking, having this conversation about extreme ownership and accountability and all the, um, everything is my fault. And you mentioned in the book, uh, 
called Collision Course. There is a collision. And you talk yeah. about actually questioning. I don't know if there was anger or just questioning your, your brothers, your friends, letting you get behind the wheel. Um, yeah, a bar for serving you yeah. your old fashions that you love. Yeah. I do love some old fashions. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Manhattan guy myself. but yeah. I've, I've tempered it. I had a great old fashioned. Uh, you said Manhattan. It made me think of Manhattan Beach. But <laughs> I had a great old fashioned strands. It was great. Anyway. Oh, it was strands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you question them, and which I, I mean, I think is probably a normal response. But how did you, like, what was that process like? So you, you, you get in this accident after drinking, mm-hmm. um, and and you share the process of like what you're going through in that moment. But later, when when you're questioning the scenario and like how did I get here and that kind of stuff, like, and you're you're questioning them, like, what what was that like? Yeah, I was, you know, and I'll tell you all the truth. Like, I was pissed, right? Like, I was hot because, um, you know, I, I felt like, and I'm the youngest of this group, right? And I, I don't, I don't, and I don't think I say that in the book. But if if you think about like being a youngest of eight brothers, for example, like your feeling will always be like you guys are supposed to protect me, right? Like that was, that's how my was was my reaction and how I felt. I'm like, you guys didn't protect me even though I should have protected myself because I'm a grown man, but it's like, you guys should have been there. Though. You should have been like, no, right? And you guys didn't, like, this is how I felt. Like, we, you guys got behind the wheel too. So I was like, we all felt it was okay, right? But we all didn't assume the, the accident. Like, we all didn't get that. I got that, right? And so I used to feel like, well, I have that. And then when I was going through it, not to say, like, they weren't there, but, like, they weren't there. Like, they were there when we I know that. When they, they were there when we were cutting the check, though, right? Like when, when the drinks were flowing and things. But like when it first, right when it first happened, it was almost like, oh shit! Like he's on his own, right? Like I was, I was scared from having to deal with that. So let me know when you're done. Almost like, <laughs> did you have you know? any conversations and, with them about it, or have you had any conversations with them about it? Yeah, we. It's, so this this group of friends, like we're all tight. We all went to school together. Um, seven of the eight guys were all we're actually all frat brothers. So we all join a fraternity at the same time so the bond is really strong um and we always say like we became men at together right and so um we had a conversation after it happened i had a conversation separately with the two guys that were in the car with me um which even on their behalf right like i feel like they should have said something in particular because they should have been like i'm not getting the car right like you know like there's these, these little micro moments where you're like Man, the decision, like, if we had to put, like, a decision tree up, it's like, man, these are all bad. Like, these are all bad decisions. Um, and there's technology. Like, and that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, I, I had that conversation in a lot of different ways at different altitudes. Um, but they were all around, like, at the end of the day, the accident has happened. Um, I am dealing with the repercussions of my own decision because... At the end of the day, I shouldn't have done it, right? Like, if if you guys want to drive and all, like, even if I say no, like, fine, but I shouldn't have gotten behind the wheel. Like, I had more. Not to say they don't, ha- they didn't have anything at stake, but I knew what would happen if something happened to the car, which there was a residual. It like there were just so many repercussions that I wasn't thinking about in the moment, right? Which like, how could I? Um, but. It's just like when you think about it now, it's like, man, 
if they I, knew what I had to lose, they wouldn't have let me get behind the wheel. I uh, I don't share this very frequently, but I got a DUI in college, and mm-hmm. uh, for the longest time, I was very upset about it. Like I felt like the what the reason I got pulled over had nothing to do with me. I passed all the sobriety tests. Like I had all these. Re- I'm just like, why why is this even happening to me? And then my friends, similar to you, like they bugged out. Like they yeah, there was a gap, right? It was just like we're we reconnected when every, all the legal stuff was done. And right. Like I, I, I've done my time, paid my debt and all that goodness. And I was real mad about it. But it's like at the end of the day, like now, now at the end of the day, I realized that like I didn't have to drive. I didn't have to get in the car. Um, yeah. You know. You had this accident. Yeah. Drinking and driving. Um, Kids. Yeah. Don't. Do yeah. That. Don't, Don't do, do that. Do not Don't do, do it. it. Um. And you have this family dynamic, yep. right? And you talk about it in the book, but you allude to it. Um, and I want to really understand, like, you had to battle, like, maybe not battle, but you struggled with the, the, the family perception. You, you wrecked the car your parents got you for, for graduating. Like, what nice was that experience? <laughs> and what, like, and we talk about it, when you were 13 and you talk about breaking your ankle and you talk about your relationship with your sister, like, but what got you through that? And what was that? What was that situation with your family? What was it like? Yeah. So, and I'll just talk from the, from the perspective of like after the accident in that dynamic. So that the, the accident was like an explosion, <laughs> like in, in like internally from, in our fam- from the family perspective. And it was, and I, I mentioned like the family business, so like the car was connected to the business, and I, and so like that's a dynamic. As in, that, like it was insured by the business, or it was exact. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it was like so, a company car. It's basically like yep, it was a company car. Um, and so you, you I allude was, to that in there. You talk about mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like the <laughs> the connection between the car and the company, like they weren't like completely separate things they were real connected <laughs> right to the intent that it was like this is this is detrimental potentially detrimental to the business did you understand that prior to the accident i understood that it was the scenario of like the company car part right but like i wasn't thinking like oh like Liability. i get into a yeah, like the, yeah, like, yeah it's like oh it's on me when it's like yeah no it's not actually um you know, and then like at that time, it's like you're 23, like you're driving this car, like the the policy on you and and whatever we have in the company, like is high risk, like whatever, 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 and all these. So I didn't think about all these things, and it just basically created this. It was the catalyst for like this downhill. <laughs> it was everything went bad, like, like ASAP. What, to explain it, like tell, so, to talk about. So good example, like with it, yeah. when the accident happens, right? So you, so my. Like you think about like my, my stepdad, mm-hmm. right? Um, like so, my stepdad was pissed, right? And not like I'm mad. I'm great that you you were drinking and driving. Like not that kind of mad. He was like, "There's so much accountability." Back to the accountability thing, like and responsibility that you have as someone connected to a, the business that you should know better. Almost like you should know better. And it became this hostile conversation between the two of us because I'm thinking. Like, hey, like, let's relax. Like, I'm 23. I'm still here. Like, it's all good. Like, it's a car, right? That's how I was thinking at the time. He's thinking, 
it's a business, right? Like this is what I've been working to build for the last 27 years. And he's thinking it can cost the business. And it could cost the business. And he's like, which means that costs 600 people their livelihoods, which changes how I live. It changes how your mother lives, which changes whatever else he's got going on. He's like, you know, and the business has going on. He's like, but you're thinking about what happened to you, right? And so that was the conversation that was happening. And so even in that moment, like I had this opportunity to realize like, he's right, right? And it took some arguments, some it was knocked down, drag out. Like I resigned. Like it was a whole thing, and oh. it was, it was like legal. Like, and I was like, my 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 like human rights have been violated. My dad got involved. Like it was it was crazy, right? Wow. Like so then like they were you know they were going at it a little bit, I'm and sure they get along just just fine. They do now. That's good. Yeah, but you know like in the heat of the moment, it's like I'm right and he's right, right? Like everybody's entitled to feeling like they're right um in the moment and it's they just created this you know this this bumping of heads often and then if you think about the the person in the middle is mom right and mom and i i didn't know this at the time and i and if i did i was you know ignorant to it on i think intentionally because i didn't want to have to deal with that is like she was dealing with her own things like mentally and physically and everything and it's like I'm so busy focused on what I got going on and trying to be right that I'm actually hurting her, right? And I don't even know it because I'm so focused on, like, he's wrong, I like, you know, whatever, and dealing with all that kind of stuff. And um, and that became another, another situation that I think I, I'm not going to say I created, but I amplified when it came to, to like, my mother. Um, you know, then you have just other family members involved. Um, so it's just, it was a... That's what I meant by just so much uh, was transpiring. And then I was like, I'm out of here, right? Like, I had a house in Atlanta at the time. Um, so I bought a house when I moved back from Chicago. So I was 23. I buy this house off of a recommendation from my stepdad. Like, he's like, this is a smart move, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, equity, I get it. Ownership. I'm like, I'm 23, though. Like, this is a this is a pad. This is, I don't know what. Like, I'm not cutting the grass and all that, man. Like, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so you think, I think about all these things, and I'm like, I be, I was trying to, at that time in my life, I was trying to be something that I wasn't even ready to be. And I didn't even put in any work to get, right? And so, like, getting a car like that or, you know, like, a house like Like, they paid me more. Like, I got a bonus so I could just buy the house. So it was like the business was giving me so much. But I decided to throw that all away by just getting in the car, drinking and driving when I know better. Right now, that's in all, in, of course, like in reflection, but it's that's what happened. And that's what I meant by like, it was a lot. Yeah. What did you take? Like you talked, you talk about the, the conflict, yeah. right? Like that idea of I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Like navigating through that. Like, is there a a takeaway from that that people could learn from? Because I think there's a, there's a lot and a lot of situations that we all experience mm-hmm. with I'm right, and like this is stuff that Rodney and I are trying to break down through everything that we're doing. So I'm curious, like, do you do you have something from that 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 you took away in that experience that you try to avoid going forward? Yeah, and I think it, what I learned in, in 
hopefully maybe it lands with somebody is like I learned that everyone can be right, right? Like mm. we all can win, um, but it's like the approach, um, you know, to winning. It's like can you win gracefully, right, and, and respectfully? Um, and I, I established this level of like humility in the process because it's like, like I was humbled, like <laughs> in a lot of different ways, and like the accident definitely did that. Um, like later on. Um, but I even think in the moment in the fire with my stepdad, it was he was he was helping me humble myself because he wasn't trying to like really hurt me by taking away like a job or anything like that. Um, you know, like I, he was trying to help me see like if you ever get in a moment where you built something and somebody, no matter who it is, tries to take that away, you're gonna always feel some type of way, right? Like always. So what I learned in the situation was like, hey, step outside of that moment and just observe and listen to all the sides, right? Before you react, like take the take, be patient in the steps you take, um, because you actually might be agreeing, <laughs> right? And you don't even know it, right? Because you're so focused on I have to win, but it's like, but did you listen? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like, it's were you interesting really- you say that because like. You're right. You are. You were alive. It was just a car, like. Yeah. You, and and but like, okay. Step one, like that allowed you to have a conversation with him, so he could explain the other implications <laughs> of yeah. that accident. Which I learned. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And now, like you know, now today, when I even think about, man, like one day, if I have a company like that and I have to deal with company cars and such, like, <laughs> I'll now. <laughs> you have a now different like, perspective. I have a different perspective. <laughs> What yeah. that means and the impact. And you're gonna have you're gonna have stickers on the dash. Yeah, don't like, drink and drive. <laughs> think of me. They're yeah. gonna be automatic cars by then. So. You're gonna you're gonna have your book self driving. Just take like audio in books box. in the glove. <laughs> just hit play if you're drinking. <laughs> if you're drinking, yeah, don't play. don't read the chapter. Stay lit because you're only gonna remember the two words. Stay lit, and right. I don't want you like, to do no, it. That's not <laughs> that's not that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, in this path, right? Like this, this, like fast forward or rewind before all of the conflict blew up. You mentioned that um, when you were in the holding cell, how long were you in the holding cell? Oh man, I think I was in there for like eight. <laughs> Can I say something? Eight hours. Fuck holding cells, by the way. Man. <laughs> That'll let you know about your life real quick. Like, yeah, real either fast. I'm cut yeah. out for this life or I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> and I knew right then, yo, Philip, you're, this is not you, brother. This, you're not made for this. And I, you know what, though? Even in that cell, though, like I was in there for, you know, seven, eight hours. Like when I was sitting in there, it gave me an appreciation for like, truly like all the things that i did have right um because like i was you surely didn't have them in that moment no i was like i don't have anything in here i'm just one of these guys in here that's like oh man i saw (laughs) i talked to some people there was a dude who got dude dude who got picked that he just he just pulled off a drive-by there was some crackhead like there were some people well like because this this is what fascinates me about your quote you said you after you talked to some people you realized I could still be great. Yeah. Like, yeah, I knew. Well, How did you realize that in that? Yeah. Like, what, what, what about those conversations or those people made you realize you could still be great? Because yeah, I, I mean, I was in there with some, some young guys. Um, 
and I and I actually I was in there with a couple of older guys that were just like this is like their recurring offense like they were like repeat offenders like they were just, yeah like they were like uh and he was just like there's one guy I don't remember his name older older guy um kind of just say like a oh it seemed like he like an OG like just we're just sitting there and I I I so I, I kind of don't mind talking to anyone it doesn't, um, doesn't matter who they are where they are um he asked me he's like what are you in here for? like you know you kind of get in this little like, why are you know, here? Yeah, like, why are you, like, what are you, why are you here? And, uh, you know, I, I told him, and he was just, man, that's no-. he was almost, almost like, that's nothing. Like, yeah, yeah. And, like, and it's, I'm like, yeah, kind of. But in my mind, I'm like, but it's everything. Right? Yeah. Um, and he's, he was telling me about his story, like, and he was like, he did, I don't know what he was, uh, he did something ridiculous. Um, but it's like, not the first time he's done it. And he was just telling me, like, he's like, I got into a cycle that I couldn't get out of, right? And and I don't know how to get out of it. Um, he's like, and this is my life. Like, I, I come in here, I do my time. I, if they let me out, I go back out. If not, I'm probably going to be in gen, gen, they call it like gen, gen pop. pop. And, yep, I'll be in gen pop. <laughs> and, you know, I'll, I'll survive that way. And then if I, if I get you released, that's great. If not, you know, I have to, you know, figure out how to survive in here. And he's like, you're not this guy though, right? Like, and he, I was telling him about it, my my experience. I was like, he's like, have you ever been to jail and all that? I was like, no. The only times I've ever been to jail were like my dad would, you know, he with the the work he was doing. Like, I would visit or whatever. Um, I had an uncle that was a police chief, so I was like, you know, not really been in there, but <laughs> I've been like scared by them. Um, and it helped. Like those con- that that was just one conversation. Even like younger guys that were in there, younger than me. Um, at the time, you know, I was 23. These guys were like 19, 18, like 21. I'm thinking, like, man, like you guys are like just adults. Like, you, what are you doing in here? You know, and I'm thinking, like, man, I, I got to get out of here. Like, and I don't ever want to come back. And if I come back, it's to, it's to inspire or to help, help. or to do something else. You know, to yeah. And I, that's how. That's why I say, you know, like. I can still be great is because like I don't have to be defined by this moment, but I can take an appreciation for everything that happens after that, after this, um, you know, so I don't come back here in this certain type of a circumstance. Uh, and I, and I haven't been, you know, and I, I'm grateful for that. Um, so there's, I don't know why I'm compelled to do it, but I'm following my, my, the things that compel me. So normally we ask our guests, and th- normally we ask the question, like at the end, if you were going to leave our audience with one thing, what would it be? But I kind of want to pivot. And I want to ask you, like, if you were to tell your sister one thing that you would want in perpetuity for her to be able to listen to forever and all time, what would that be? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I would put it this way. We're not defined by the decisions of our predecessors. And that I love her, right? Like, you know, those two things, for sure.